Well, good morning, everyone. I want us to pause for a moment and do a shout out to our Missouri City congregation. They have a new campus pastor, Xavier Maryland, and this is a marriage made in heaven. So today, yay God, yay God for Missouri City and Pastor Xavier, and a shout out for our Richmond Rosenberg campus. In two weeks, it will be two years of our Richmond Rosenberg campus. And I just want to say to you, Tim Homa has done an amazing job. Do you know how hard it is to start a campus from scratch and begin working with that campus? And yet his leadership has been amazing. And I want us to celebrate with Richmond Rosenberg and Pastor Tim and for the work God is doing there. And then our Sugarland campus. This campus has been so giving, so helpful. You have given so much away to be able to launch two campuses and provide for two campuses. And all of it has gone elsewhere. It has not gone on this campus. You have given it and you are so loving. I wanna say thank you. Let's celebrate the Sugarland campus quite honestly because you've been absolutely amazing. And for all of our campuses and all of you who are joining us online, we welcome you today and so grateful that you're here. Last Sunday, something happened. There were no trumpets, there were no fireworks, but something amazing happened. Before the pandemic began, we were averaging as a church about 4,500 in person on a usual or regular basis. But then the pandemic happened and I'm telling you everything just went crazy. But last Sunday, we had in person 4,575. We were back in person on our campuses. It's not about numbers, but it is about the fact two and a half years later, we are back. And on top of that, we had, over, we had around just under 1,600 people that were with us online. So if you'll stop for a moment, add those two things up, what has happened? In a course of two and a half years, in the middle of a pandemic, a miracle was emerging. And all of a sudden, God grew this church from 4,500 to 6,000 and we didn't even see, we didn't even realize what he was doing. How in the world does it happen in the midst of a pandemic? I'm going to tell you, only God gets praise and glory for what has happened. We are living out a miracle in this church, and I just want us to see it. I want us to see and understand what God has done and is doing in this place. Now, with all that in mind, there is one key thing I want us to talk about today. I want you to open your heart to see God as your source. It's really easy to see other people as our source. It's really easy to see our job as our source. But actually, God is simply using these two things, other people and our job and whatever else, as a resource for the source in our life. And I'm asking you, would you open your heart today and open your eyes to see God differently, to see God as your source? Some of you say, well, I've never had any problem with that at all. I've been doing that for years. Well, yay, but not everybody is. 
Not everybody has actually seen God that way. It is very easy to see people as our source, but then all of a sudden, somebody's gone that was here. They've died, or there's been a divorce, or there's something that has happened, and suddenly my source has disappeared. And no wonder they're so devastated. And we see job as the source, and all of a sudden I get laid off, or I get fired, or the, the company goes under and I lose my job. It is easy then to be devastated because my source, we think my source has disappeared. Your source didn't disappear. He is still on the throne. Your source is still on the throne. And God is still going to take care of you. I'm asking us to see God in a different way. To see God as the source of our life. In James chapter 1 verse 17, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no changing. Who is no changing? See exactly how it, how, how it reads. Who is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You see that phrase, no variableness. In other words, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. We live in a we live in a crazy culture. We live in a changing culture that is, it has become crazy. It's beginning to be more and more crazy. I, I read an article just a few weeks ago about a person, and this is her calling in life to teach three-year-olds what their actual gender is. What? A another one I read, her calling, she says, and her whole purpose in life is to teach sexuality to five and six-year-olds. What? And they're calling themselves culture warriors. I don't want any culture warriors around my kids. A couple weeks ago, a guy went into a fast food place, ordered french fries. But he didn't get ketchup. And he pulled out a gun and shot the person that gave him french fries with no ketchup. What is wrong with us? We are living in crazy land. But we have a God who's the same yesterday and today and forever. And in the midst of craziness, we have a God with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You can put your trust in your source, in God, in heaven. I... I God uses people, they're conduits in our life, but how many times has God spoken to people to be good to us, to be kind to us, to be helpful to us? And we didn't even know that he did it, but he, he touched someone's heart and said, I want you to treat this person well, speaking about us. How many times that someone out of the blue, for no reason that we know, decided that they would, they would open some window of opportunity, some door of opportunity, give us promotion, give us a, 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 a raise, and would help us and bless us, introduce to us a friend that helped change our life. But it, it was God behind the scenes, blessing and helping. It was God taking care of us. And God does things sometimes in the, uh, the most outlandish ways. 
One day, there's a story in the Gospels, one day that Simon Peter went to Jesus and said, our taxes are due. The Roman government required taxes of every person, and they would show up, your taxes are due. And if you did not produce the taxes, they took something else from you. And Simon Peter came to Jesus and said, our taxes are due, and we have no money. What do we do? And Jesus said to Peter, it's not a problem. You go down to the Sea of Galilee. You throw a hook in, in the water. You will catch a fish. And when you catch the fish, open up its mouth. It will have a gold piece inside its mouth. Use that to pay our taxes. That is the most outlandish thing I guess I've ever heard. But what other choice did he have? So he went down to the Sea of Galilee. threw his hook in the water. He caught a fish, looked inside the mouth. And there was a gold piece inside its mouth. You understand that God was just showing off. He was just showing off. And what God was actually doing was saying to Simon Peter, see, I can take care of you in the craziest ways. See, I have so many ways that I can bless you, I can help you, I can take care of you. I'm your source. And I can use anything and everything to meet your need. Not just Simon Peter, but you and I. God says, you look to me. I'll be your source. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want us to come to a place today to see God as the source for our life. There's a story in the Old Testament that I want us to take a look at. It's the story in 2 Kings chapter 5 of a man named Naaman. And as we get into the story, there is one key idea that I want you to grab hold of, and it's simply this. For God, obedience always precedes understanding. This is so counterintuitive for my personality. I, I, it's been the hardest thing for me because I, I think if I can understand something, okay, okay, I understand that. Explain this to me. If you explain this to me, okay, I'm in. But God says, no. No, I want you to be in before you even understand. For God, obedience always precedes understanding. So the story. The story is about a guy named Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5. And Naaman was a five-star general of the Syrian army. And at this moment in time, Syria was the greatest nation on the, in the known world. Uh, there was no nation as great as Syria at this time. So the king of Syria would have been sort of, you'd think, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, at least the known world. And then Naaman would be the second guy because he is the commander. He's the five-star general of the Syrian army. People knew him. People respected him. He was apparently a guy of character. And people thought very highly of Naaman wherever he went. People honored him because of who he was. But one day Naaman found out he had leprosy. We don't think of leprosy in this day. Yay, God, we don't have to. This, it still exists, but very few people contract leprosy. But in that day, in Bible times, oh, leprosy was like cancer, worse than cancer. And, and it was highly contagious, and, and you got to be careful about being around people. If, you, if there is somebody with leprosy, you've got to stay as far away from them as you can. And a person would know that they had leprosy because all of a sudden, there would be this slick, white patch somewhere on their body. It would just simply emerge, and they would see it, and what is this? 
And when it was discovered, this is leprosy. Oh, it spread fast. And when leprosy would spread, it would spread down the person's legs and onto their foot. And did you know that it would begin to attack? Leprosy would begin to attack, attack the toes. And the toes, one after another, would die and fall off. I, I, I can't even imagine walking uh, uh, down the road and you look down your foot. And, oh, I've only got four, four toes. One of my toes fell off. I didn't even know it fell off. And another fell off. And another fell off. And if it gets to your hand, which it will eventually, your fingers start falling off. And when your hand finally dies from leprosy, when it finally dies, you could put your hand in fire and you wouldn't feel anything because your hand is dead. All the nerves in your hand has died. And you'd feel nothing. And this is your life now. And it progresses and every single part of you becomes infected and dies and you die most horrible thing and there's no cure for it and when you get leprosy you're dying and you're dying that way and when the word got out that Naaman had leprosy people were just distraught how could it be but a young Jewish girl heard and she got the word somehow some way all the way up to Naaman Hey, there is a prophet in Israel named Elisha. And he's performing miracles. Maybe the only chance you have is to seek him out. Go see Elisha. And Naaman appears at the doorstep of Elisha's house. And there he is. He's on his white charger. And there all of his army is with him. And he arrives at Elisha's house. Now, he fully expected Elisha to come out and be impressed. This is Naaman. Come out and be impressed. Oh, you are so great. You are so wonderful. But Elisha wouldn't even come out. He sent an intern to tell Naaman, do you want to be healed? Go to the Jordan River and dip down under the water seven times and you'll be healed. Naaman was incensed. How dare you? Do you realize who I am? Do you realize my greatness? When somebody has to explain their greatness to you, that is not a good sign. Either way, it's not a good sign. So here he is. He's incensed. How dare you treat me this way? I am Naaman. And second of all, how dare you tell me to go to the Jordan River and wash seven times. At this point in history, the water flow had been reduced and the Jordan River was not the Jordan River that we know in the New Testament times. It was not a flowing river. It was a mud pit. You didn't go to the Jordan River to get clean. You went in the Jordan River to get mud. And you want me to dip seven times? I'm not doing it. He turns around. He's headed back to, to Syria. And one of his soldiers stopped him and he said, Sir, if the prophet would have asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. And now that he's asked you to do something easy, you won't. You must. You have leprosy. You must. And Naaman came to a place of humility. He swallowed his pride. And he went into the Jordan River and he went down six times. And you would think, come on, give me a little hope along the way. A little gradual healing kind of thing. No, no gradual healing. Six times and nothing. And then he went down the seventh time and he came up and he had the skin of like a newborn baby. 
Now, this story is actually teaching us three principles. I want you to get the principles. I've got, the, got it there for you. I want you to fill out these, these fill in the blanks because these are important. First of all, a God-sized need is an opportunity for a God-sized work. I had this terrible thing that happens in my life. Oh, I'm so mad at God. Wait a minute. You're never going to have a miracle until you have to have one. This is the moment that God wants to use in your life to grow you, to deepen you. This is the moment. Instead of getting mad at God, instead of getting all upset with God, it is only a God-sized need that gets to see a God-sized work. This is an opportunity for you. Second of all, God gives to us a promise or a command that requires trust through obedience. There's always a condition to every promise that God gives to us. There's always a condition to every command, obviously, that God gives to us. There's a condition. You've got to fulfill the condition. And the condition always requires us to trust God when we don't know the outcome. That's why it's called trust. It requires trust. And then there's a third principle. Humility is the condition for God to meet our needs in a way and time that accomplishes the greatest good in our life. You got to get humbled. I got to get humbled. There has to be a humility that comes, a, a brokenness of our pride. He's not just telling us there's a condition you got to meet. One of the aspects is there's got to be a humbling and a yielding of ourselves to God. And then God meets the need in his timing, in his way, not your timing, not your way. Three principles. Our circumstances that we face in our lives are going to be different than from any of the miracles that we read in the Bible because none of the miracles are the same. They're all different. But all of them have the same three principles. It's the principles that we look for. So just before this story in 2 Kings chapter 5, in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's another story. There is a woman and her husband, and they love Elisha. And, and they're sort of co-workers. They, they have a relationship and friendship. And all of a sudden, the man dies. He has a friendship with the prophet Elisha, but he still dies. We all die. I, how he died, I don't know. But he gets sick, I don't know. It doesn't tell us how did he die, but he died. Even though he was a friend of Elisha's, this prophet from God, he dies. And here is this wife that is left alone with their two children that are too small, two sons that are too small to uh, make up the difference in the income. And here is a woman with no ability to support her family. There's no social security. There's no life insurance policies. And her husband dies, and there is no income. There's no way. She tries her hardest. She works as hard as she can, but it's not enough. She cannot get enough money to make ends meet. I don't know whether they owed money before her husband died, or she just racked up the debt because she couldn't make enough money to be able to meet the needs of the family. I don't know what happened, but there was debt. And now the creditors have come and said, either you pay up or we take your two sons as the payment of your debt. 
And they had the ability to do it, and she couldn't, couldn't bear this. I've lost my husband. Now you're going to take my two sons? No. And she cried out to Elisha. She hunted him down. Elisha, I need your help. A God-sized need is an opportunity for a God-sized work. So Elisha asks her a strange question. He says, what possessions do you have? And she said, I don't have any possessions. I'm, I'm impoverished. I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. And Elisha said, no, no, no. Stop for a moment. Stop the panic. What possession do you have? Okay. I have a little bit of olive oil in a tiny little jar. That's it. A little bit of olive oil in a tiny little jar. That's all. Elisha said, okay, that's enough. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get the jars of everybody. All through this region, I want you to go to everybody's house. I want you to get as many jars. Get as many jars as you can get. When you think you've got enough jars, you don't. Keep getting jars. And take them and put them in your house. So she went everywhere, getting jars, going to the next door neighbor. Can you imagine the conversation? I want your jars. Why? I don't know. What do you want them for? I don't know. Give them to me. I need them right now. You're going to get them back, but give them to me now. By the way, this jar has just got a little bit in it. Dump it out. I need that jar too. And she goes to every house and she gets every jar. There's no other jars left anywhere because she's, she's so passionate. She's so passionate, I need this, that everybody gives her the jars. And she's got them in the living room and then or in the house. And then she goes to Elisha and she said, I got everybody's jars. And he said, okay, now you and your sons go inside and close the door. I don't want anybody else to see what's going on. Go inside and close the door. And that little jar you have of that little bit of olive oil, I want you to pour it out until you fill up the jars. Fill up one jar, you go to the next one, fill up that jar, go to the next one, fill up that jar, and fill up all the jars. That does not make any sense. I got a little bit of oil. Doesn't even fill up my little bitty jar. You keep pouring it, it'll keep coming. It'll keep coming. It'll come. It didn't make any sense to feed 5,000 with a couple of fish and some loaves of bread either. But God has an ability to take little and multiply it, and I don't understand it. I can't get it figured out. I don't know how that works. I can't even imagine it all evolving with the 5,000 that he fed and evolving with us, but it happens. And she pours out the oil, and it fills up this giant jar. How is this? And it keeps flowing, keeps flowing, till she gets to the end, the last jar. And when she's filled it up, the oil stops flowing. You say, this doesn't make any sense. I know. But it happened. And then she takes the oil. She sells it. She pays off her creditor. She's got so much money. It's unbelievable. And she lives fine. I don't know how long. But she has a miracle that happens to her because God had become her source. You said, no, Elisha did. No, God did. Elisha couldn't do anything. He was just a human being. He just spoke for God, and God was the source. God gives us a promise and a command that requires trust through obedience. Humility is the condition for God to meet our needs in a way and a time that accomplishes the greatest good in our life. And all these principles happen. Now, 
I'm asking you to open your heart to these three principles now in a particular area of your life. And the area, the area I'm asking you to open your heart to, these principles for giving financially back to God. Over the last three weeks, we talked about giving of our time and our talent and our energy to God. I looked back and I discovered I had not taught the principles in the Bible about giving for, th for the last three years. I, I didn't realize that. It was six months before the pandemic started, the last message on giving tithing to the Lord. It's the last one, three years. And it may be that the struggle the church has gone through financially this year is partly because I haven't been teaching. And I'm back. And I'm asking you to apply the three principles of miracles for giving financially back to God. So let's take a look. First, a God-sized need is an opportunity for a God-sized work. The Bible tells us, teaches us that we're to give back to the Lord of our tithe and offerings, and our offerings is above our tithe, for the purpose of growing us in our spiritual life. For some, that's no big deal. But for others that are listening to me right now, that is a, that's an impossibility. That is a God-sized need. And don't think I'm going to walk out here and I'm going to start tithing because I'm not. I am never going to give back to God. So just I want you to know it. Why? Because it's too hard. It's too difficult. It's, it's too, how in the world could I afford to do it? And that is exactly how some are hearing me right now. It's too hard. A tithe is 10% of our income. And we're to give that to God. Why? Deuteronomy 14.23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Another way of saying that is, the whole purpose of tithing is to show us that God is our source. Not our job, not other people, but God, God will take care of us. And we give back to God to demonstrate God, we believe that. And we demonstrate it through our tithing. One of the great challenges many people face is the challenge of trusting God with their tithe. So I already know what some people are thinking. I don't know who it is. I don't know who gives and who doesn't give, and that's being honest. I do not know who gives and doesn't give because it's one of the rules on our staff. And why? So that we won't treat anybody any differently. There's a second principle. God gives to us a promise or command that requires trust through obedience. So what is the promise and the command in Malachi 3.10? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was the storehouse for the temple. The tithe was 10% of what they had made. And he said, bring the whole tithe. I'm not saying a half a tithe. I'm not part of one. I'm saying the whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the place where you worship but there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have enough room for it. He is saying, I'm giving you a command. I'm telling you, I want you to tithe. And second of all, I'm giving you a promise. I am going to take care of you and more. That's the promise. 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Give, and it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall others give, pour into your lap, so that with, with what measure you measure out, it will be measured back to you again. Notice how God puts it. He says, I want you to give first. Now, he's already given to you what you've gotten, but he says, now, now that you have it, I want you to give first. You give, I'll give back to you. You give, I'll give back to you. You give, I'll give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Shall others place in your life? In other words, he will use people. He'll use your boss. He'll, he'll use others. He will use situations and people in your life to meet your need. In other words, he is there, there is not counterfeit money being printed in heaven and dropping down out of the sky. He will use other people. He'll turn their heart. He'll, he'll cause them to meet that need, and he will keep blessing you. And that's how he's putting it. And he says, with what measure you give out, I will, it'll be measured back to you. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that God wants everybody to be rich, and it doesn't say anywhere where he wants everybody to be poor. He is working in our life individually in a way that brings honor to him that he knows what we need and when we need it and how we need it. And Kathy and I, honestly, we look back at our life and we just can't see anything but God. We talk about it from time to time and we look back at the so many stories about what he did and how he blessed us and he, he helped us. But I'm going to tell you how it all got started. We met each other at Oklahoma Baptist University. We got married before we graduated. I became a pastor about about three weeks before we, we got married. I didn't know anything. And I'm pastoring a church and newly married and going to school. We couldn't make ends meet. We couldn't make ends meet. If you, if you would see how we lived for the first several years, many years of our life, you'd be stunned. We couldn't make ends meet. So one day, here I am, I go to God, and in my quiet time, I inform God I can't tithe. Yes, I am a pastor, but I'm not going to be tithing because I can't afford it. It doesn't work. And in my heart, I feel God say to me, now I'm requiring 20%. Well, I knew that couldn't possibly be God. I just imagined that. And I informed him, you know, I believe I'll be tithing and I will not be giving to him. He said, I don't know where that came from. But I began to be so convicted, I couldn't even pray anymore. 20%, 20%, 20%. So I said to God, I will tell you something. If you will tell Kathy that we are supposed to give 20%, we'll give 20%. By the way, I'm never bringing this up to her ever. So we are, I, I went, we, we're, we're driving together in Shawnee, Oklahoma. By the way, two months ago, we were in Shawnee, Oklahoma, sort of reminiscing, going up and down the streets. And all of a sudden I said there, oh my soul, we are where it was. We are at the exact place where it was. Where we were discussing our finances and you said to me, you know what I think we ought to do? I think we ought to give 20% to God. What is wrong with you? Do you even understand what you have just done? She was always way ahead of me in faith. What are you talking about? Now we have to do it. 
And I explained the whole story. She said, oh, good, we're going to really see God. Oh, I don't know what's wrong with you. We are so cooked. But we, had to, we started giving 20%. 20%. We couldn't afford 10. We couldn't even afford zero. And I'm telling you, and I'm not lying. I'm not dead. I didn't starve. I'm not lying to you. We started getting money from places. People were sending us money in, in the mail. You should never send money in the mail. But people were sending us money in the mail. People were giving us money, putting money places that I would run into it. I couldn't believe it. They, I, I came out to the car and it was full of groceries one day after church. And I said, I am never locking my car again when I go into church. I, I, I was looking for the groceries to show up. And I'm telling you, we lived so well. We had money at the end of the month. We were starting to give money away to other people. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God was saying to me, you'll be my pastor. You're going to get your act together. You're going to learn that I am your source and not a job and not a paycheck. And you're going to turn to me and you're going to follow me and you're going to trust me and you're going to walk with me. And that's what he did. And I'm going to tell you, we can't afford not to tithe. We can't afford not to. I would never want to put myself in a position like that and give above. And look at what he says in Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more. And that's what we experienced. It was more. It was always more than we might ask or think. And the truth is God has blessed you that way more. There were times in which God would say to me, you know what? You're not really handling the money well, Mark. I'm not going to give you any more money. You handle the money. You manage the money better. And here are the principles in which you, the Bible's full of principles. And by the way, I want the impulse spending to stop. And I'm, we went through so much change in our behavior. And what I discovered, he, he was taking care of us but not just in that moment. God taught us principles about money management that has served us to this day. So here's the last principle. When we humbly obey God by faith and meet the condition of the promise, God will meet our needs in a way and time that accomplishes the greatest good in our life. So I think what I want to do is show you. I want to show you the principle. And that is what this is all about. Now, there are two people. And the M&Ms inside this people, this person, represents money. So this guy gets a paycheck. And when the paycheck comes in, what does he do? Well, it takes a whole lot of money to live in that house. I can promise you that. So a whole bunch of money goes to housing and all the stuff related to housing. And then some of the money goes for food. And this is part of the illustration I love the very most. Just a little bit more food. And then... Some of the money goes to car. The kids, they cost a fortune. And other things we need, a TV and all that kind of stuff. 
And at the, oh, there's one more. And at the end of the pay period, he's out of money. Sweating bullets until the next paycheck shows up. There's another guy. He's got M&Ms, represents money. And the first thing he does is he gives a tithe to God. Then he takes a little bit. He sees somebody else in need, and he, he gives to, to them that are in need. Then what does he do? He has to pay the mortgage for crying out loud, and it costs a lot of money to pay the mortgage, and then and all the stuff related to the house. And then there's the car, and there's food. I got to tell you something. I, I've done an illustration with apples. M&Ms are so much better than apples. And I started thinking about it, and I said, you know, why don't we switch over to M&Ms? I want to show you this one. You see this M&M? I went to the store. By the way, I bought, brought home all these bags of M&Ms, and Kathy said, what, has wrong, what is wrong with you? What has happened? I said, it's a sermon illustration, so King's X, I can have all of the M&Ms I want. It's a sermon illustration. This one was a surprise to me. This is a brownie M&M. I didn't know they existed, a little tiny brownie surrounded with the most wonderful chocolate covering. And then the kids, they cost money, and he's out of money. And he goes to God, and he says, God, I need some more. And God says, I want you to learn how to manage that money. That impulse spending, that's where it's getting you. Calm down. Start learning how to manage your money wisely. But even when he does that, sometimes he runs out of money and God says to him, no problem. I have an endless supply of M&Ms. I can take care of you. And my wife and I have seen this happen. And I'm telling you, there's so many ways God could bless you, so many ways God could meet your need. And what he's asking for you to do is change the way you think. Your job is not your source. God is your source. And when God becomes your source, all of a sudden everything changes. I'll trust you. I'll learn how to manage my money better. I will learn how to stop impulse spending. I will learn to obey your rules and your, uh, of, of how I take care of my money. But I also know, God, when I do the right things, I know I can go to you, and somehow, some way, you're going to do something. I don't even know what it is. Even if it's a coin inside the mouth of a fish, you're going to take care of me because you are my source. And I'm telling you, you can see this happen in your life if you'll open your heart to God being your source. Let's pray. We come to you today, Father, and we need you. We, need to, we so much want to learn how to live by faith. We so want to learn how to receive from you. And you're so tender. You're so kind. You're so patient. You help us little by little to learn how to trust you, to see things happen. And, oh, God, we step back over time, and we're shocked by you. We're amazed by you about what you did and how you did it how you changed our behavior that was wrong and how, how you provided for us and met our need. And you give us more. 
than we even ask or think. So, Father, move in hearts. Some, Father, so hard, this is so hard to do, so hard to do. This is a God-sized need because it's so hard to do. Move in hearts, Father, today to learn how to trust you, to obey you even when it doesn't make sense, and to humble themselves to do your will. Father, I pray for those that are online and those in person that have never received Jesus as Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, the day they would give their heart to Jesus Christ. And that today, Father, maybe they just need to join this church or whatever it is you're speaking to their heart to do. Maybe it has nothing to do with our topic today, except they need to take the next step with you. Move in hearts to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.